It's so cool to be here tonight. I don't often walk off the beach into a church service, but uh, it's obviously the Musenberg way, so it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, so I think, you know, I introduced myself to quite a few of you. I'm Thomas, um, and this is my wife, Faye, and we have our two girls here, Ava and Krista. And yeah, we are indeed visiting. We actually live in Switzerland now. We have been for almost 13 years. And... Um, but yeah, I, I was born in Cape Town. I grew up in Cape Town, Faye as well. Um, and yeah, I, my father's actually Swiss, so I have a Swiss-sounding name, Thomas Hoffmann. Um, but my mother's English, and I grew up in Cape Town, and I felt very much like a South African, I suppose, although I knew my dad was a little different. I have to say, I always knew my dad's a bit special. He's a little, he's a little different to the average South African dad. I was never quite sure what exactly it was about him, but when I got to Switzerland, I realized my dad's not different. He's just Swiss. <laughs> anyway... Um, yeah, so we, we did, it was in 2010 that we left. It was in just before June. It was actually a week before the World Cup kicked off, the World Cup football kicked off. Faye and I were excited to be there during the World Cup because the preparation had been going on for years and we lived just near to the Greenpoint Stadium. We didn't know that a week before we'd be off in Switzerland, but we were. Um, I had felt... <laughs> Yeah, we had to watch Cape Town on TV for the months after that. Um, but, yeah, I felt, I did feel the Lord calling. And, you know, we worked it through, worked it through with the church, and they sent us with a blessing. I didn't know exactly why we were going. Um, and you've heard the story of the average saint, I think, a few times. Because we, we weren't any, like, particularly special, like, apostolic people. We, we just, I felt strongly that we should go. And the church said, well, if you're really convinced, um, we can bless you in that. And they did. So, um, but we'd been at Josh Jen actually for four years. Um, and we were under Jules in his home group. He was our leader, our home group leader. And Chantal and Dylan and Heiko there as well in the group. And actually, yeah, <laughs> cellmates. And, um, yeah, like, basically, uh, the foundations, if you like, of what was put into us as we weren't new believers, because we'd actually known the Lord since we were small children, um, but something had turned in our faith at that time in our lives, and a lot, of, a lot was deposited into us as a couple during those four years. I remember when we first came, we'd been in Johannesburg for a few years, and we came back to Cape Town, and when we first came to Sunningdale Church, Josh Jen. Faye and I were struck that there is something going on here that is different to what we've experienced. And, and we, we ended up driving, you know, quite a long drive to Sunnydale, like twice a, on a Sunday morning service, evening service, because we didn't want to miss out on what was going on. Uh, we eventually planted out um, a church in the City Bowl. Um, but there was something different. And the funny thing about it was we were very challenged at Joshua Generation, and the challenge was to learn how to die so that you can come to life. And this was a very strange message to, to be pulled into. That's the kind of message you should run away from. When someone says, come here and learn how to die, that is not an attractive message. But somehow the life of God was in what, what was happening there, and so Faye and I couldn't, couldn't hold back. Yeah. Tell me if you want to say something, by the way, at any moment. Okay. And I'll, 
I'll give you the mic. Because um, Faye is going to share some stuff in a minute, um, but just in case I'm rambling. Good. So, so there was something going on, and the seeds were sown into our life. And, and so we went to Switzerland, and all I knew was God's passion is to build His church. And I didn't know exactly why I was there. Um, I hadn't been sent there for a particular ministry or purpose. But I knew that God's passion is His church. So no matter what job I end up in, um, no matter what people I end up meeting, there is a church here that God wants to link me into, and He wants to do something. I knew that must be true, even though I didn't know what it was. Um, and, but we did end up finding our way into a church, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that later. So I actually, I want to backpedal now a few steps, because I also would like to talk to you guys just a little bit about Switzerland, um, because often when I say Switzerland, people say Sweden, and I'm like, no, no, not Sweden, Switzerland, they, they're actually different countries. So I do want to just say a few words about Switzerland, because we don't all know much about Switzerland necessarily. Um, so Switzerland is a country in the middle of Europe, which is really cool. I'm not just saying this for fun. It is like in the center, in a sense, of Europe. Um, above you to the north, you've got your Germanic countries. You've got Germany, some people from Germany. You've got Austria slightly to the right, um, to the east. And then if you go kind of east and downwards, you've got Italy. And then you've got France going down around the corner to the west. Um, so you're surrounded by these German Italian and French-speaking countries, and you're really in the heart of Europe. 7.8 million people in Switzerland. Um, so a fairly small country that's um, roughly the size of the Western province here in South Africa. But, you know, you've got these three languages, and you've got really three cultures, um, the German, the Italian, the French. The cultures within Switzerland are also very different depending what part you're in. There is a fourth language, actually, Reto Romanish. It's a kind of a Latinate language that some small Alpine dwellers speak. It's kind of fading out, but it's still there. Um, left by the Romans. And then you have English. Actually, now school kids all around Switzerland, their second language that they learn is English, in addition to French, Italian, whatever else they're busy learning. You tend to speak a lot of languages in Switzerland. Um, yeah, but that's just a kind of a a brief introduction to where Switzerland is and what's around it. Um, and Faye, I'd love it if you would share a few more things about Switzerland. You'll also know we're famous for high, 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 yeah, cheese. <laughs> Greer is a place in Switzerland. <laughs> so is Emmental. You might recognize the cheeses. <laughs> um, and fondue, uh, well, the French and the, and the Swiss battle it out for who started that. But... Um, it is eaten often. <laughs> um, and also famous for very, uh, very pointy mountains but, yeah, and pointy chocolates called Toblerone <laughs> and Lindt <laughs> and Cayet. <laughs> you may not know as well, but yeah, very famous for chocolate. So yes, between cheese and chocolate, you know, you've got to keep climbing those mountains to stay in shape. Um, it is also very, very beautiful. You've got towering mountain peaks between 2,000 and 3,000 plus meters high, capped with snow, green meadows. You skip through the grass singing, the hills are alive. It, it looks like that, okay? 
It's very, very beautiful with little wooden chalets in the countryside. Really, it looks like the, the postcard. It's a very beautiful place. But it's also a very efficient and uh, a well-run country. How long does it take to get a passport in South Africa internally? I got, I've, I've received passports in my post box in three days after visiting the passport. <laughs> so that's, that's efficiency for you. <laughs> they have all your details and know where you live. You, it's all on the system. And uh, yes, so it's a very well-run and efficient country and that's what the Swiss are known for. They're known for precision and perfection and efficiency. Uh, and they like things to run very smoothly, like a clock. They're very well known for their clocks, and everything runs like that. The trains are just about never not on time, and people's lives are very smooth, and they value everything running smoothly, and everyone fitting in. It's quite a conformist kind of culture, and uh, yes, and everything, everything must run perfectly and smoothly. So it's quite opposite to uh, the relaxed style back up down south. <laughs> Even if you go as far as Italy, as soon as you cross the border, you can, can see the difference as you go, what are those? Weeds on the side of the road. Oh, my gosh. And is that a pothole? <laughs> Talking about clocks and efficiency, um, when I first started working in Switzerland, I arrived for my meetings often three, four minutes after they started because I would go from one meeting room to the other, and it takes two or three minutes to walk. And after a few weeks, my boss pulled me aside into his office and said, Thomas, you're doing so well, and I think you're going to do good things in this company, but you need to stop arriving late for meetings. <laughs> and I thought, three minutes late? I thought I was early. <laughs> <laughs> the meetings had already started when I arrived three minutes late. Yes, uh, punctuality is very, very important. Just so you know, if you visit Switzerland, be on time. Anyway. So <laughs> Got to obey the And the traffic lights are not just a suggestion. <laughs> um, Switzerland's also very different to the other European countries in that it's not part of the EU. They are fiercely independent, and they've been a uh, fiercely independent, spirited nation, nation for forever because they actually only recently became an official country. They were just little kingdoms, little cantons, um, and then they decided to make a pact together and be at peace with each other. And then Napoleon tried to rule them for a while, and then he gave up because he said they're impossible to rule. And then they formed the country. So that independent spirit is very much there still. They don't like anyone to tell them what to do. So they're not actually part of the EU. And they're also neutral. If in a time of war, anything, their policy is that they will be neutral. So Switzerland's seen very much as a the safe haven mountain kingdom where your money's safe, and where uh, yeah, a lot of it attracts a lot of wealthy people. And they've become from a very poor nation, which they were before, because farming in the mountains is very difficult to do. They, as soon as they became industrialized, they have been very cleverly pulled themselves up, and now they're in the top 10 wealthy nations in the world. And, uh, and they are very rich right now. Yeah. Um, anything else you want me to say? Okay, that's your little brief overview of what Switz Switzerland's about. Yeah, the, now I have to watch myself because I believe there's a Swiss person sitting. <laughs> there she is. She's taking notes. Um, but this, as Faye was saying, the Swiss are very precise. Um, they're very polite. Um, they, 
They will greet you politely when you walk past in the street. And I'm talking here about German Switzerland, because if you're in the Italian or the French part, it's different again. But there's a sense of politeness and professionalism. There's an expectation that people greet the way they should greet and say what they should say. Um, but there's also there's a sense of control. Like, there's not a lot of looseness and freedom and just um, doing something outside of the box. Um, there, there's a sense of there needs to be order and there needs to, you know, people must do what I expect them to do. Things must work as I expect them to work. Um, and I think that, that does actually have a spiritual impact when you come in. Um, and what I was saying earlier about the challenge Faye and I felt as we joined Joshua Generation and we realized, hey, this is a New Testament church. This looks and feels like the New Testament. And the primary thing we're learning is to die for our lives, um, living our lives as we used to, for that to change. Um, and so we kind of came with that passion, with that heart um, into Switzerland. And we realized, ooh, this, this could be challenging. Because the last thing the average Swiss person wants is for their lives, their comfort, their routine to be challenged or broken in any way. Yeah. Or their tradition. It's about, yeah. Yes, indeed. So, Faye mentioned that there were many cantons, and Switzerland still runs in quite a segregated way. Canton Zurich will buy its buses from a supplier, maybe Siemens. The canton next door will buy its buses from another one. I mean, why all buy the same and get a big discount? No, no, no. So everyone does their own thing, really. The education systems, a lot of education is localized. They're an independent and independent thinking nation. And we've noticed that as well as we've started to work in Switzerland, is independence, the right, the freedom to be who you want to be, say what you want to say. Um, yes, they have you know, micro-democracy. Every small thing is voted by the individual. So there, there's a real sense of, I have control. I get to say, if I don't like what 50 people in this room are saying, I'm going to put my hand up and I'm going to stop this meeting and we're not going to do it. Um, so there's quite a sense. It's a beautiful thing on the one hand that you have the ability to contribute um, to how society is shaped. But there's this sense of control, the desire to have your say, and for every individual to kind of have a right, so to speak. Uh, and we came in there with this revelation of, man, we need to lay down our rights. Um, we need to give up um, what we thought was important to us. So that's been something that's kind of followed through as we've uh, made inroads into Switzerland. But maybe just a few words about church. So we've talked about Switzerland. Um, yeah, about just over half, about 55% of Switzerland would tick the box Christian. Um, and so that's quite a large part of the population that would call themselves Christian. The rest are atheist, agnostic, esoteric, whatever. There's some Muslims and other faiths as well. Um, but of that 55%, You've got about two-thirds that are the state churches. That means Roman Catholic or Reformed churches, Protestant churches. Um, those state churches are challenged in terms of finding the life and truth of God. It is difficult to find what you would feel like, something that reflects what we read of in the Bible in those churches. Um, so they're not in a good, not in a good place. The other third would be evangelical churches. 
Um, you've got about 1,500 evangelical churches in Switzerland. And um, so, of course, there's hope there because these are people who I think would generally say we're, we're born-again Christians. We're not going to the state church. Um, we've maybe had to get funny looks from our neighbors um, because we're, you know, we're born-again, we're evangelical. Um, but I have to say, even in those churches, and I've met many people in those churches, I've visited those churches, it's difficult to find this sense of people whose lives are built around their King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, what you find is a lot of people's lives are in first place, and what I do at church must fit in to my traditions, to my expectations, so I'll build church into my life. Um, and that, that's a real challenge in the evangelical churches um, in Switzerland. And I know this is common throughout Europe. In fact, it's common around the world, really, isn't it? I think you all know what I'm talking about. However, there are, I would guess, if I had to put a number, maybe 50 churches where you would go and go, wow, there is something going on here in those evangelicals. There is there's some life here. There's something of the Holy Spirit um, there's, there's something of the miraculous breaking out here and there. Um, perhaps more, you could call them more charismatic churches. Um, and so Faye and I, when we were first there, there was a sense of hope, like, okay, maybe we can, you know, tack on to something like this. Maybe we can find who these types of people are, and we could build something. And we actually, to some extent, started trying to do that in our first years in Switzerland. Um, but what we realized quite quickly is while there's a, a sense of life, a sense of the hallelujahs, the jumping up and downs in worship, um, there was still life being, uh, a church being built to fit into your life. Um, that sense of I'm willing to lay down my life. I give you all of my life, Lord. My job, second place. My my family's needs and desires, second place. My career, my car, my holidays, second place. Place number one is building the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is hard to find. Even in those 50 churches, hard to find. Because I was walking with people from these churches, I had the privilege to know three or four, five different churches and people in them who I was praying with often, chatting to, and what I realized was, although there was a certain passion for Jesus, there was not the desire to lay down the life, lay down their preferences. Um, that, whenever I got to that level with them, it was a no. And so, after a few years, Faye and I realized, and, and we, were, you know, we were chatting to the elders back here, we were getting support um, from Andrew Selly and his team. We realized we can't build with any of these um, we actually need to start something new because there isn't a group where we can say, these guys are New Testament Christians. We can build on this. There was nothing that we could find. Um, and so we actually planted a new church. And um, yeah, we did that seven years ago in 2016. And um, it's been amazing, but it's been the hardest seven years of our lives. <laughs> and the six years before that, we thought was the hardest phase of our lives. Uh, <laughs> I remember <laughs> I came back to South Africa once, and some people, there was a pro prophetic team, and, and they were praying for me. Um, I just had a burnout, actually, so I was on burnout recovery. 
and a young man came up to me, and he didn't know me well, and he just laid his hand on me, and he, he, he just said, you know, I sense the Lord's going to bring you into challenging season. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, whatever, buddy. I think you're, you're discerning the season I've just been in. You're almost right, you know. What I didn't know was I was about to come into a more challenging season. Um, so he, I think he actually did hear the Lord correctly. Um, so we've, we've honestly, we've had 13 years of real challenge. Faye and I have never been tested um, and refined, I think, ever like we have been in the last 13 years. Um, and, and this is the funny thing. What I said about dying, about letting go, you know, not having one foot in the world and one foot in the Lord and saying, I'm going to, I can do both of these. You know, we talk about double timing. If you work and you serve in the church, that means something different. I, I realized I was kind of double timing and that I was both trying to serve the world and the things I hoped for in the world and serve the Lord Jesus at the same time. I felt like I was working a night shift for the world, you know, and a day shift for the Lord, and it doesn't work. You can't do it. Um, the very thing that I've said I wish to see breakthrough in, in the church in Switzerland is the very thing the Lord's been purging out of Faye and I. Um, stop me if you want to say anything. Um, so I think the Lord chose the right couple um, because we have had to walk that journey. I thought I was coming to Switzerland, a guy who'd learned about laying his life down, you know, who'd learned what it is to be fully for the Lord. And over these years, I've realized, no, but you weren't. And then again, no, but you're still not. And, but you're still not. But you're still not. But you're still not. So time, you know, fifth year, fifth time, no, you're still not. Year seven, no, still not. Year nine, no, you're still not. And it's gone, and it's gone. So it's been, it's been an interesting purifying process. But there is good news. <laughs> it was like at the equip, I think it was Ryan who said, um, we over, no, or was it, um, I think it was uh, Stan Jonathan said, uh, we overestimate what God can do in one year, but underestimate what you can do in 10 years. Yeah, in other words, we often say, this year is going to be the year when God's going to do all these awesome things. And so we can put a lot of expectation into a year. Um, but what we're not thinking is, imagine what God could do in 10 years in my life. And actually having that longer-term perspective can be very helpful. Um, so I do want to get a little more upbeat now. I've talked about being tested. But maybe it is helpful for those of you who feel Oh, it's, it's been tough, you know, we, um, we, we're waiting for breakthrough, it's got to happen now or I'm going to give up. Um, stick with it. Uh, the Lord is building you for something specific, so do not give up. Um, we, we couldn't give up because we were surrounded by too many brothers and sisters who we'd have to give account to, um, and we knew we can't give up um, because of the people around us who've walked with us, who've also given up things for us. Um, and so we were carried forwards by faith. But the Lord has allowed us to turn a corner. I would say during last year, suddenly we saw breakthrough. Um, and I just want not to be too vague, what was that breakthrough? Well, funnily enough, the team of elders, three elders, three wives, who love one another, 
Um, we're all very dynamic, very eager, very excited. We think we're very capable people, all of us. Um, we all feel that in a worldly sense, you could point us in any direction and we're gonna, we'll get it done, I promise you. Um, but this set of three elders and wives struggled to find peace and unity and mutual submission to one another because we all knew better and we all had a slightly better idea. And um, so what the Lord's been doing, I would honestly say primarily in our little church, it's a small church, we're 40, 50 people, what God's been doing is teaching the elders to lay down criticism, lay down judgment, lay down all of that stuff and love and serve one another, even when it hurts. And even when you're convinced that you're right, keep quiet, see the best in them, love them, serve them. And, and that's what we've learned to do. And through breakthrough, just in relationship as a team of elders, God has suddenly brought blessing in our church. And um, yeah, we, suddenly the Spirit is at work in our church. The Spirit is alive and moving. There are miracles breaking out in our church. Worship is like every time you, you just want to keep worshiping. Um, new people are coming into the church where people were leaving and leaving and offended and leaving. Suddenly people are joining and just can't wait to serve and keep asking us, what can we do? New ministries are starting. So the whole church has just turned around. And all I can say is, that we served patiently, we didn't give up, although many times over we wanted to give up. And um, so God has decided that we're ready because we've, we've died. We've died to self. Yeah, I could say a couple more words, maybe just about the significance, I think, of what we're doing in Europe. Is that, is that okay, Jules? Okay, cool. Okay. Um, there is something significant. I mentioned earlier that I couldn't really, you know, we thought we could latch on to something there, you know, pick something that's already running. Um, but we realized that we couldn't because we couldn't go into an old wineskin. We needed a new wineskin to hold what God wants to do. And I know that God is going to grow what we're doing. And I know that he's also going to add churches to us, um, existing churches who see it and desire to become part of it. And so what I'm seeing is that something is starting to grow and build in Switzerland that will change the way that Switzerland understands church. It's a small start now, but I'm telling you, I can see what God is doing, and it's going to grow. It has already started. Yes, it's true. Actually, a little mini church has just joined us, would you believe? Um, a little home church just three weeks ago. Um, maybe it's worth telling. Uh, Faye and I went to a barbecue. Do you want to tell the story, Faye? Yeah, you tell it. His voice is getting tired. Um, we, were, we, we knew a couple that lived an hour away from us, and we'd been helping them out with something, and they invited us. Uh, yes. Wait. This is... <laughs> Listen, and you'll, all will be revealed. Okay. And um, we, we um, were invited to the birthday, the birthday party of the husband. And they, we were invited to another town about an hour away that we'd never been to. It's called Arburg. And we um, went to, uh, we, to, we had to walk 15 minutes into the middle of a forest. And at that barbecue, we knew no one except the couple that had invited us. And then uh, a woman came up to Thomas and said, 
um, this morning I was praying and God told me that today I'm going to meet someone who's going to teach us how to build healthy church. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, uh, and she said, I believe it's you. And yeah, and it was amazing. And we spent a year, now this is where also, God doesn't just always, you have to be patient and do things in God's time. It's His timing. It's not how special you are. And um, we weren't even the Swissest of our people in our church. You would think, oh, well, these are a Swiss couple. They would more naturally, God would have put them in contact with somebody else who's speaking the same dialect and, you know, they would relate more to, but he chose Thomas and I. So God can choose you out of your comfort zone when you're not the best person for the job. And uh, we walked alongside those two, um, even when it was looking so bad, we were going, but for a miracle, these two are going to say, no thanks, we don't like your brand of Christianity. Because they, they, were, they had, were so opposite in their thinking towards authority, and they had wounds there, um, and, and there were certain deal breakers we felt were there, but every time God worked in their hearts, they were so soft before the Lord that he could speak to them, and they came on board. It's amazing. God brought them through after a year and a few months, and, and they are so, so excited to be part of the New Testament church that we are building. Praise the Lord. We'd been strategizing, how can we reach more Swiss people? Because there are a lot of expats, English, American, Australian, uh, Dutch, uh, in Switzerland. And, and often we end up with those people in our church. And we're like, yeah, but we want to reach the Swiss people. And so we've been brainstorming, like, what do we need to do to be more Swiss? Like, should we wear different clothes? I don't know. Um, and, and so the, we found it amusing that this Swiss couple came up to the South Africans and kicked off with us. We did learn German, by the way. Yes. <laughs> Don't think about going into the mission field and think you can just, yeah, speak English everywhere. <laughs> yeah. There is sacrifice involved. <laughs> True enough. Um, but, so I wanted to just say a few words about the significance. Um, I believe God's going to grow what he's doing, and I believe it is going to change the way people understand church in Switzerland. And Switzerland, as I mentioned, is in the middle of Europe. And many nations around Switzerland consider Switzerland, it's kind of like this safe haven hub. When there's trouble in the rest of Europe, the one safe place in the middle that doesn't get touched is Switzerland. And the reason Switzerland has been able to remain neutral is because all the countries around it are willing to respect it as a neutral country. And many Europeans have ties, links, money, something in Switzerland that they need it to stay um, stable. And so I, I do believe there's something very significant about building healthy church right there and having a connection to so many nations around us. So I just wanted to encourage you guys. You know, it was Julian and Chantel, it was Heike and Dylan who were part of preparing us years ago before we left. And we were very average members in Josh Jen. There was nothing particularly special about us, and yet the Lord chose to use us. Um, so, yeah, if you guys have something on your heart, don't limit yourselves, don't doubt yourselves, but allow the Lord to work in you. Um, and our experience has been, the more I'm willing to give of my life, that I'm not walking with one foot in all the cool stuff that Thomas wants to achieve in his life, and one foot in, 
all the awesome stuff for Jesus, but really pulling that foot out, and that's been a painful process, and standing with both feet in the Lord, willing to lay down everything else. Um, when you're willing to do that, the Lord will use you mightily. 